The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 104.5 FM, 103.5 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Well, thank you, Jim. I'm glad you're here well, with I us today. I was communicating through the glasses, uh. <laughs> Andrew. And you two are getting too chummy before the show. Would you like him to come here in yeah. here and play, play, play the role of me? So today I'll we're going to go back through memory lane and think about zip drives. They're celebrating their 25th anniversary today. Are they now? Oh, yeah. It's been a long time. And we're going to talk about a particular photo format called GIFs, G-I-F-F. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is it pronounced GIF or GIF? That's exactly what I was about to say. How do you pronounce it? GIF. I'm sure we will come to no and consensus we're, when and we're finished we're, with No, this. and we're, we're going to talk about a special contest that's put on by GIF Peanut Butter. <laughs> we're going to talk about the Can you nine, rattle the papers any longer? <laughs> I, want to, I, want, I want people to know that this is a serious show. So you hear the paper rattling in the background? Because you know you, you know who does that? Rush no. Limbaugh on the EIB network. He, he has an important story, and he rattles the paper. He, he does that. Yes, he does. But this is also a technology show where you think we might go paperless someday. No. this. Oh, that is a very good point. Oh, yeah. Oh, how can I rattle an iPad? Okay. Well, you probably find – I'll bet there's a rattle sound effect. We're going to look at the nine megatrends that will shape the world in 2030. This is kind of interesting to see where things – this is like uh, the viewpoint of a futurist. I ah. thought it was very interesting. This week we're going to feature a very impressive woman, Catherine Coleman-Johnson. She was a mathematician that did calculations of orbital mechanics at NASA. She was a black lady. Of course, she was a woman, and she overcame all those barriers mm-hmm. and achieved great results. And I'm telling you, I'm really rep- impressed with how she managed to navigate those days and how successful she was. And I'm anxious to talk about Katherine Johnson. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Well, he showed up today. Yes. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria, one of our regular listeners. Good morning, Dr. Shirts. I've been looking at Epic Systems. They do electronic health care systems, and they are at the majority of top-ranked hospitals. Epic was started by Judith Faulkner, and I think she'd be a great subject for Profile in IT. And I certainly think she would be, uh, Susan. So thanks for that suggestion. We got an email from Bridget in Manassas. Dear Doc and Jim, when I opened my Facebook account, I was very immature, Bridget. And I chose a username that I thought was sassy and original. Uh-oh. But now that I'm older, I just think it's inappropriate for somebody my something my age. And I mean, I've seen is? 
No, she. she, she oh, she, come on. No, that's she, half the fun. She, she doesn't want to tell me what the name is. So she didn't tell you. So you don't know and you're not yeah. just holding back on I it. I mean, I have seen some email name, email accounts that really should be changed. That You know, people will uh, apply for a job and it might be hotbabe at gmail.com. Uh, apply for a job with you? No, not with me. <laughs> But the if thing they, is, if you is that, use the name Hot Babe with you, you yeah. get the job. Oh, no, not absolutely I'm joking. No. <laughs> I'm joking. So here's the thing. The, uh, so I can, so people over time, they, they evolve and they want to change, change what they're doing. Well, the good news is, uh, Bridget, it's easy to change your name on Facebook. What you want to do is, now you can't do it with the mobile app because for some reason they removed that capability on the mobile app. So you got to log into Facebook with your browser Log into the account and then click down. There's an arrow on the right side of the blue bar. It's right beside where where the username is. A little down arrow. Click on that, and then you'll see on that drop down menu something called settings. Click on that, and then you'll see everything. You'll see username, password. You'll see a lot of things that sort of define your account. Go to the one line that says username, and on the right side there's a little edit link. Click that edit link, change your name, and then you can save it. Now, the only caveat is you're only allowed to change your name every 60 days. So you can't change it again for 60 days. You know, I didn't know that until I, 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 I went to that link. Huh. And, and they won't let you have any, like, weird capitalizations. They don't want any punctuation in your name. They don't want weird characters or random words in your name. They want Weird you- characters. Yeah, oh. random characters, any any sort of punctuation. So that, oh, that, you said weird. I thought you said reared. Weird, weird. Weird. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah. And so and so, you just have to do that. But I can see now. I started thinking about that 60 day rule. What they don't want you to do is change your name and go uh, over and harass somebody, and then change it back. Ah, you see. Yeah. So so if they let you, if you could just change it every day, people could do all kinds of stuff, and it wouldn't be traceable. They would, so yeah. now you're stuck with it for sixty days. So I'm quite certain that Facebook had some issues with people trying to do that. So, well, best of luck, Bridget, and I hope you select a more appropriate Facebook name next time. Sounds like she learned her lesson. Got an email from Doug in Baltimore. Dear Tech Talk, how can I convert a bare hard drive or solid state drive to an external drive using either USB-C or USB 3.1 connectors? Okay, the USB 3.1, that's the big USB uh, plug. And then the, there's a smaller one that's coming out on the new computers. It's USB-C. That's a, that's a much smaller uh, USB plug, which is becoming more and more popular as laptops get thinner and thinner. I'd like to use the extra drives I've got in a drawer, and I'd, and I'd like an easy way to do it. Well, uh, you know, solid-state drives are really quickly replacing regular drives. So, you know, solid-state drives are becoming more and more popular for these external drives. And you can actually get a, um, an adapter that your drive will fit in. It's an external it's an external drive adapter, and you can get an external drive adapter that will have either USB 3.1 or USB-C output. And then you can get a USB adapter that will support a solid-state drive or a regular 3.5-inch uh, hard drive, or it could support both because you, they basically just plug into the uh, plug into the uh, plug into the port. You you basically just Open up the um, open up the external drive enclosure, and you plug plug the drive in. And some of them will ha- have either the regular hard drive or the SSD or both. Now the good news is they're only about twenty bucks. You can get that external drive. Huh. So you know, I went on to uh, 
I went on to the uh, Amazon site. I mean, there's so many of them, and, and you know, it, you know, either the SSD or the or the uh, or the or the regular magnetic hard driver. They all just plug into the SATA connector, SATA connector. It's a standard interface, and then you just close the close the unit, and you're good to go. Now, ra- I didn't really recommend one. What I want you to do is just go to Amazon and look up external hard drive, uh, and then you pick one that's got more than a thousand reviews. And it's highly, and it's got good reviews. You you just can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Don't pick one right. that only has a few re- reviews because they could be fake. So I, I but if you've got more than a thousand reviews, it's probably pretty good. So that's what I did. I looked at quite a few of them, and they they vary from fifteen dollars to twenty five dollars. And they're some of them are kind of pretty. The, you, you some of them are transparent, so you can see the drive inside. Huh. It's actually quite nice. So. Uh, we got a uh, – uh, so that's really what you do. There's uh, – hold on. What am I doing here? <laughs> oh, is there a way – you know, I, di- I forgot to put the letter in, in italics. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to find it. Yeah, yeah I couldn't find the letter I'm, because there's a serious formatting error For those on who aren't show. watching us on Periscope, there is, as we heard earlier, yeah. as the doc ruffled yeah. the papers around, there is an outline that— There is an outline. So here's the thing. There's a method to his madness. So there's—this this, this this, this came from, uh, from John in Fairfax. Is there a simple way to reduce your phone's monthly data usage? So that's actually a good question because a lot of people are on uh, on you know on a fixed data cap and they want to make certain that they don't use too much data. Well, the dirty truth is that the apps that you have are always working in the background and they'll just yeah. download stuff all the time. Yep. So what you can do is that actually you can actually the first thing if you want it if you're not going to use an app just just uninstall it because you yeah. know an uninstalled app is going to use no data. Now. Then you get then you leave the apps that you use, and then some of the apps you want them to operate in the background, for instance, there may be like your email, like right. your mail app. Or, so you just decide which apps you want to let operate in the background, and then you can tell the other ones uh, not to operate at all. But you know what? Not to interrupt, <laughs> but I'm going to interrupt. Uh-huh. Um, the email app, uh-huh. I, I, I disabled the auto uh, you know, check function uh-huh. on that because – I don't check it all the time when I'm out of the office. Uh-huh. So I just, you know, it, it saved a lot of data yeah. when, when, when the iPhone wasn't constantly checking for email. Uh-huh. Now, what I did is um, you, you can turn off background refresh completely. Right. And I'll tell you how to do that. But what I did, I left on background refresh, but I said only refresh on Wi-Fi. Ooh. So you have a choice of. Never refresh, Wi-Fi only, or Wi-Fi plus cellular. Uh-huh. So I put it on Wi-Fi. So that's, they all, so they, they all refresh as soon as I'm on Wi-Fi. But that's the other thing is whenever you can be in secure Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. Use the Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's right. Use secure Wi-Fi. So so if I go to uh, Starbucks, not that they're any less secure, I always turn on my VPN. Yeah. I got an Express VPN. So well, that's another story. So VPN. if you so if you got an Android phone, you just tap on the settings icon and then you then you tap on either apps or apps and notifications. And then you'll see a list of apps. Pick the first app that you want, click on it, and then you tap on data usage, and then you'll see something called background data and you can just turn it off. Mm-hmm. And you can do that for for all of the units that you have and then it, it won't it won't then do anything in the background. Now what that means is when the app is closed, it won't download any data, but as soon as you open the app, it will download data. That's what it means. Now, if you've got the iPhone, you go to the settings iPhone, then you click on general, then you tap on background refresh, 
and then you you'll see a list of apps. You can just toggle them off if you if you want to disable background data. Now I just toggled all of mine on, and at the top of that screen on the iPhone, there's another drop down menu. You could pick Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi plus cellular or nothing. So I, I do it on Wi-Fi because. I'll just use as much Wi-Fi yeah, as I can. I'm using, I'm using on, on somebody else's dime. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the deal. And so that's a very good way to operate. We've got an email from Paula in um, Texas. Dear Tech Talk, I have a carbonite. I'm, I had carbonite backup for my files for a couple of years. And, um, and, but, and you know, they backed up all my document files. But they didn't back up any of my Windows files. And I learned the hard way that this was a problem when my hard drive crashed because I had to, <clears throat> I had to reinstall everything, Windows and everything, and I, I didn't have the disks. It was a huge problem. Um, what exactly do you have if you say image system image backup? What does that actually do? Well, <clears throat> uh, thanks for clearing this up, Paula in Texas. Well, Paul, I use Carbonite too, by the way. So I... Um, if you do a systems image backup, it backs up everything on the entire hard drive, including all your Windows applications, including Windows itself. It basic make it actually takes a snapshot of your hard drive at that moment. So if your hard drive were completely ruined, you could take and restore that snapshot, and it would be like nothing was there, and you, it wouldn't re- restore all your applications, Windows, and everything instead of just your data. Now it's it's a lot bigger file a backup file because you're 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 backing up everything but it's probably wise to have at least one system take a systems image periodically and then you can do it now what i do with carbonite i I don't do the systems image i just back up my document files so like like when marianne took my laptop and on on the trunk of the car and Marianne took your laptop yeah, uh, on the trunk of her yeah, car. On the trunk of her car, you didn't and drove it on and, the trunk and, of her car. And dro- there's no evidence of that. And and then she <laughs> and then she drove off. And then she drove off. Uh huh. There were no. There was. There, there's no video evidence of that. No, at there's all. no video. Because evidence. the rule in my house, it's never my fault. So <laughs> whose fault was it that the last email wasn't in italics on the outline? Uh, that was Marianne's fault. Okay, all right, just checking. <laughs> You're, at least you're consistent. <laughs> That's right. So, so this is the thing. Yeah, she must have said something, and then uh, you know, and, then the, font, and then the font, then the font changed. So <laughs> when she drove off, and then and then dropped and dropped the laptop on the street, and then cars ran over it. I just had to get a new a new laptop, and I just you know that came with uh, Windows installation. I put on all the apps again, and then I just downloaded all my systems file, all my. Uh, document files and i didn't lose a thing could you secretly have <laughs> wanted a new laptop is that why the laptop accidentally wound up on the trunk of the I, car I, I don't know there, there there could be some deep-seated meaning in that i think we need to bring dr phil in I, someday i think you're exactly right so so susan i i think in your case you should definitely do the systems image makes a lot of sense we got an email from susan in richmond dear tech talk i've forgotten the pin for my windows 10 laptop oops and I can't log on to my computer. What are my options, Susan in Richmond? Well, I hope, Susan, that you linked your login to your Microsoft account. If you linked your login to your Microsoft account, you can reset it. I once knew somebody who had a laptop. They forgot the password, but they didn't link their Login password to their Microsoft was that account. Laptop eventually left on the trunk of a car. No, no, that wasn't it. That was it. Somebody that was, that was okay. some, somebody else, some unnamed person. And they, mm-hmm. and it turned out with, if it's not linked to the Microsoft account, you cannot change the password. And since the disk is encrypted, if you don't know the password, 
basically everything was lost. It, 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 we we had to do an entire new installation. Wow. So when you get a Windows machine, always link it to the micro, your Microsoft account, and then you can reset it. So let's assume, Susan, that you were smart enough to link your account. But you know what happens when we <clears throat> assume. I know, but I'm, I'm, I, but I'm an optimist. Okay. I'm an optimist. All right. So what it is, uh, so what you want to do is if, you, if you're locked out of your Windows PC, you start by going to the login screen, and then you click, I forgot my PIN. And that takes you to your Microsoft account. You log into your Microsoft account. That proves you are who you are. So that means you do have to remember the password of your Microsoft account. <laughs> and then you can put in an, you know, an existing security code, or you can have Microsoft send a code to you via email. And then when they send that code to you via email, you can then put that in and you can verify. So they're going to verify you are who you are by sending an email so that means you're going to have to have your cell phone there to get the email because you can't get into your laptop. Then once you verify who you are, they will let you enter your new PIN. You have to enter it twice and then hit save, and now you've got a new PIN. Now you can go back to your laptop and use that PIN. But that's all done through your Microsoft account, and they're using essentially two-factor authentication. You log into your account. They send a text message to your phone. Put the text message in. Verify who you are, and you can change your PIN. If you're not ver if you're not linked to your Microsoft account, you're toast. There's nothing you can do ex except just sit there and guess. Guess and be upset you just, with yourself. You just guess and guess and guess and guess. Okay, now we got something that's not exactly IT, but it's no. very apropos. We got an email from Doug in Fairfax. Do surgical masks really protect against coronavirus or the flu? I am skeptical. Doug in Fairfax. Well, Doug, viruses that cause respiratory diseases, they spread mainly via these little tiny droplets. These droplets can be inhaled, ingested, or picked up by touching a surface that they land on, and you can transfer them to your eyes or nose or mouth. Surgical masks really don't provide a snug fit. They also mm -hmm. don't filter out the smaller particles. In fact... There is no standard for surgical masks. You don't know what they filter out. There's no standard on pore size. So you, these small droplets are going to come right through the mask, and they're not really going to protect you. Now, you, you might say, well, then why do surgeons and nurses wear a mask in now, the operating room? Why do surgeons and nurses wear a mask in the operating room? I'm glad you asked that. That protects them from spatter, splattered blood mm -hmm. or splattered liquids from the patient. It protects them. From getting getting them on their mouth. Also, dentists use sometimes they when, they, when they're cleaning your mouth. And yeah. there's a lot of splattering going That's on there. That's right. And so it will. The mask Hope will you're not stop eating breakfast out there. So the so the the mask will stop a big drop of water. It just won't. These little respiratory droplets it won't drop. Right. But there is one good thing that the mask does. Remember, I said one way to get it: you get your hands, you get germs on your hands because you touch a surface. It keeps you from touching your mouth or your nose. You just so, touched your mouth. So it protects you from, yeah, that, well, yeah. I know, it's for demonstration purposes. I hope the studio, I hope the studio is wiped down the before I got here. The very first thing I do when I get in here is wipe this thing down with Clorox. Well, Everything. thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm I glad. care about you I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you took care of that. So it will protect you from what they call self-contamination, touching your mouth or your nose. But you could still touch your eyes. So there you go. Uh, I don't think these masks do that much for you, but some people just love to wear them. Well, um, I forgot what I was going to say. It's probably oh, extremely you know what? important. We, uh, 
Oh, man, you're full of snark this morning. I think what we should do is we should have Andrew watch and take tally as to how many times we touch our eyes and mouths during the course yeah. of the show just unconsciously. Yeah, that, that could be a very good piece of research for for our research department. Or not. Or not. Okay. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalkatstratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and now southwest of Washington on 1077 FM HD2. In Loudoun County, listen to us on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Catherine Coleman Johnson. She was born Catherine Coleman, and then her married name was Johnson. So Catherine Sir, Coleman didn't call her Catherine Coleman Johnson. No, no, unless they did. That's right. So okay. Catherine Johnson was a math- mathematician whose calculations of orbital mechanics were critical to the success of the first and subsequent crude, crude space flights. Uh, Catherine was born August 26, 1918, in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. Now, because Greenbrier County. She was born, and this is going to be a theme that goes, she was born during a time when this country suffered from a lot of racial prejudice, and mm-hmm. she overcame it all. I'm telling you, she, this woman has just impressed me. Because Greenbrier County did not have public schooling for African-American students past the eighth grade, if you can imagine that, hmm. she attended high school in Institute, West Virginia, where they had to drive over to White Sulphur Springs. So her parents in the summer would live in White Sulphur Springs, and in the winter they would move to Institute West Virginia so their kids could go to high school. Wow. You know, you did, just don't, you don't realize these things. Did you know that in Maryland there's actually a state law that says the state has to 
furnish education through 12th grade for all children in the state. There's an actual law in Maryland that says Well, I, I think they changed the law. I mean, oh, this this was oh, back sure in the day. Right. This yes. was back in the day, but yes. I, I think they changed the law. Uh-huh. Now, she graduate, graduated from high school at age 14. Wow. She was a bright girl. And then she enrolled in West Virginia State uh, State College. It's a historically black college. And um, at, at age 14, she graduated summa cum laude. In 1937, with a degree in math and French, she graduated when she was 18 from college. She's a bright lady. Pretty good. Bright lady. She then took a job teaching in a black public school in Marion, Virginia. She left her teaching job uh, when she got married, and she enrolled in a graduate math program. But she quit a year into the program because she wanted to start a family. Okay, then she shortly thereafter decided she just couldn't stay home all the time. So she decided to get a career as a research mathematician. Think about that. Think about that as an aspiration. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was an extremely difficult field, first, for African Americans to enter, secondly, for women to enter. She had two check marks against her for this field back in the day. But in 1953, she was hired by the Langley Memorial Aeronautical Laboratory in Hampton, Virginia. Now, at first, she worked in a pool of women performing math calculations. Now, Catherine referred to the women in the pool as virtual computers who wore skirts. <laughs> um, I didn't put this in the, in, in, in the profile. At the top of the door in the day... They called it colored computers. Mm. Can you imagine this? No. This was at a NASA. This this at this is why this is why at Langley Memorial Aeronautical Lab. But this but the but you know she <clears throat> had such a strong spirit and was so capable that nothing kept her down. I'm telling you this this woman I I was reading all about her really impressed. Now she was temporarily assigned to the all male flight research team. Uh, because they they needed some you know some temporary help on some math problems. Now this was all male and white. They never would allow women on that team, and they would never allow non-whites on the team. Back in the day, so two strikes. But her knowledge of analytical geometry impressed her boss so much that he never returned her to the computer pool, and he just kept her on that team. This is a case where somebody overcomes extreme prejudice through performance. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. From 1953 to 1958, Johnson worked as a computer. That's what they called them then. Analyzing topics such as how wind gusts would, would move an airplane around. Then she was assigned to, she was so good at her calculations, she was assigned to Langley's Flight Research Division. Now, at that time, Johnson and the other African-American women in the computing pool were required to work, eat, and use restrooms that were separate from their white peers. Hmm. I mean, I'm emphasizing this because I want people to understand what she achieved in that environment. Despite Despite that. Really impressive. From 1958 until her retirement in 1986, Johnson worked as an aerospace technologist moving during her career to the spacecraft controls branch. She calculated the trajectory for the May 5th, 1961 space flight of Alan Shepard, the first man in space. She also calculated the launch window for his 1961 Mercury mission. 
She plotted backup navigation charts in all cases in case it was an electronic failure because back in the day they didn't trust computers, but they trusted Catherine. When NASA used electronic computers for the first time to calculate John Glenn's orbit around Earth, John Glenn said he would not fly unless Catherine validated the numbers. Wow. Isn't that impressive? That's very impressive. He called, he said, that woman in the computer room, I want her to calculate my numbers or he wouldn't fly. Johnson later worked directly with digital computers. Her ability and reputation for accuracy helped establish confidence in the new technology. Because she was there right when they were transitioning from the human computer to the digital computer. Mm -hmm. And nobody really trusted them, especially the, you know, the... The, um, the test pilots that were that were back in the day. In 1961, her helped ensure Alan Shepard's Freedom 7 Mercury capsule would be found quickly after landing because they used her trajectory to calculate where it would land. She also helped calculate the trajectory for the 1969 Apollo 11 flight to the moon, uh, and she worked on the Apollo 13 moon mission. Now, you remember that that mission was aborted, and they had to find a way to get the crew back. And she figured out a way for them to look out of the window at a star and use one star observations to determine their accuracy. So they were able to guide themselves back using an observation method of the stars and a navigation method that she determined, that she wow. developed. She worked on the space shuttle on Earth Resources Satellite and a mission to Mars. She co-authored 26 science, scientific papers. In, 19, in 2015, she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Barack Obama. Uh, it's a big deal. Her social influence, I mean, that, she was more than just a mathematician. She, was, she changed the culture at NASA. Her social influence as a pioneer in space science and computing is demonstrated by the honor she received, uh, you know, from everywhere. So um, Johnson died in Newport News, February 24th, 2020, at age 101. So what she said, so for instance, she said that she could see racial prejudice, but she just always focused on doing the best that she could do, and she you know, got on the teams that she wanted to get on. And when she was first went to the Space Research Center, you know, they do all the research, and then the men would get together an executive session and write the report. They never allowed any women in those executive sessions. Mm. So she just marched in to one of the executive sessions, and she said, you know, I'm the one that did a lot of these calculations. I should be here. And the men agreed. Wow. So she overcame you know, gender barriers and racial barriers. And she did it in such a mild-mannered but firm way. Mm -hmm. The more I read about Catherine Coleman Johnson, the more impressed I was. So there you go. Well, and of course she was the one of the women who was, uh, you know, the, the inspiration for the book and then the movie Hidden Figures. Yes, so, she was. Yeah, you're so exactly you, right. So you could, uh, if you're more curious, uh, you could watch that movie or read the book. Yes. Yep. It's a great so story. You're, you're about to say. Everything you wanted to know. That's everything you wanted to know about Catherine Coleman Johnson. I'm sorry to have cut you off. That's okay. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and now southwest of Washington on 1077 FM HD2. 
in Loudoun County. Listen to us on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can please be seated now. They are. Seated. They're, ju- they're just short. They okay, don't appear seated. They're being young. We, we, don't, we don't want anybody testing trajectories here in the studio no. by throwing wads of paper. Please. No. No trajectory evaluation. No trajectory or research. Or the sous vide eggs we handed That's out before. Right. The yes. Show. Now the uh, earlier in the show I talked about Catherine Coleman Johnson, and um, she of course was the mathematician that calculated orbital mechanics. Now the question we have for you, because this is not simply a radio show, it's no, classroom it's of the airways, yes. and we want to test you with this question: uh, Which? astronaut would refuse to fly his mission until Catherine calculated his orbit. If you know the answer to the question, well, you don't know what to do by now. I can't help you. Calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Church, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're warming up your lunar module in... Call us on the wild card line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line, which also works from outer space. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Well, thank you very much. Let's talk about GIF. GIF image formats and GIF peanut butter. I was going to say peanut butter. Mm, Yeah, GIF peanut butter wants you to pronounce GIF images correctly. 
Since the beginning of time, the internet has fought over the pronunciation of GIF. Some people say the GIF. The beginning of time? Well, since the, well, since uh, 1987. Oh, okay. Since 1987, which which in, which is in the computers. beginning of that's the beginning of internet time. Okay. All right. Uh, is it GIF with a hard G or GIF? Well, GIF the peanut maker, that would be J-I-F, not G-I-F, wants to put a stop to all the arguments by teaming up with Jiffy. That's no. a that's a site that you can do for making animated here's, GIFs. Here's what GIF really wants to do. They want to sell more they peanut sell butter. More that's peanut what butter. they really want to do. That's right. And they're going to make a, a jar of peanut butter that instead of being called it J-I-F, they're going to call it G-I-F. <laughs> and... The verdict is, according to Jif Peanut Butter, that you pronounce it with a soft G. Now, Jif. That's what G, I thought. G, it is. That is correct. Jif. G. The it's G I F stands for Graphics Interface Interchange Format. Graphics Interchange Format. It's a bit bitmapped image format that was developed by a team in the online services division of CompuServe, and the team was led by the comp- American computer scientist Steve Wilhite. They developed that format June 15th, 1987. And since then, it's come to widespread use. So you can th- these little images that actually have motion in them, those are all GIFs. And you can, you can, make, uh, you can make animated GIFs because it will just play a series of frames at whatever speed you want, and it looks like an animated movie. Now, the creators of the format first pronounced it with a soft G, as in Jim, and they say that is the correct way to pronounce it. Now, Steve Wilhite says he intended the pronunciation to deliberately echo the name of the American peanut butter. Did I mean, the, the, re- yeah, GIF, no G-I-F. And in fact, CompuServe employees would often say, choosy developers choose GIF. And that was an advertising logo <laughs> for GIF peanut butter. Yeah, it was. Where it was like, choosy mothers choose GIF yes. peanut butter. Mm-hmm. So they have choosy developers choose GIF, G-I-F. They were spoofing the brand's television commercials. Now, this is the thing. March 1st, 2020, is National Peanut Butter Lover's Day. Jif is releasing a special edition, a 40-ounce jar of creamy peanut butter that teaches you the pro- proper pronunciation. It's actually G-I-F. And at the, at the, on the lid, they explain the proper way of doing it. Now, the only problem is mm-hmm. the special jar of peanut butter is double the normal price. Of course it is. So if you want to I celebrate the GIF, the image, buy that expensive jar of peanut butter and and knock yourself out. So GIF or Skippy, which do you like? Or do you like peanut butter? Well, I, I like peanut butter. Or do you like the expensive crap? No, no, I, I, I would go for GIF. I like GIF. Yeah. I like GIF, yeah. Excellent. I like right. crunchy. Oh, we part company. Smooth. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and now southwest of Washington on 107.7 FM HD 2. In Loudoun County, listen to us on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with (laughs) Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now let's walk down memory lane. We shall. And let's talk about the old zip drive. The zips are are, uh, celebrating their 25th anniversary. So let's go back to the year 1995. I wish I had way back machine music. Back then we had slow floppy disks. They would only hold 1.44 megabytes of data. And it was just a pain in the neck to try to transfer files. Back in the day, not many people were on the Internet. We didn't have many local area networks. And people just had all kinds of issues on how to copy files and move files around. And then... This exciting new technology came around, the zip drive, and it held 100 megabytes of data, 100 megabytes of data, and it was about the size of a a, a uh, 2.5-inch floppy disk, but it was a little thicker. And when compared to the standard floppy, the zip drive felt like heaven, I'm telling you. It allowed people to back up their hard drives because back in the day, hard drives were actually less than 100 megabytes, many of them. And you could transfer large files with ease. When it launched, you could get a, um, an external zip drive for $199. In today's dollars, that would be $337 for that external hmm. drive. Pretty expensive. Yeah, it is. Now, the disk sold for $19.95, the 100-megabyte disk. So in today's dollars, that'd be $34 for the, the disk. So that's expensive. That's, it's, it's expensive, but back it's better then, than the Back other. then, it was a bargain. Yeah. Now, zip drives were, re- were originally available in two versions. One supported Windows or DOS-based PCs and with a parallel port interface. And the other one supported the high-speed SCSI interface that was on the Apple Mac. So you see the original zip drives plugged into the printer port. Because back in the day, we really didn't have USBs. So it plugged into the printer port. Think about that. How long has it been that we've had printer ports on computers? Yeah, really. And you know, back then, of course, Macs were more advanced, and they had an external SCSI connector for running external hard drives. Zip proved hugely successful. Now, their drive measured about 7 inches deep, 5 inches wide, and 1 and a half inches thick, and, it, and the drive weighed just under a pound. They, they had an internal zip drive that would fit inside of the computer. I had them all. I had external zip drives. I had internal zip drives. Well, I just loved the zips. You had to. Yeah, I had Vienna, them. There's, there's, you have to do show prep and I stuff I really like loved that. those zips. I still have uh, some of my original Tech Talk radio shows stored on zip drives back in the day. 
So we um, uh, they and so these things were really uh, nice. They 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 were about the size of a three point five inch floppy disk, but they spun a lot faster. They had a they they had an RPM rate of twenty nine hundred RP revolutions per minute. It spun a lot faster than a floppy disk, so that gave them a read write speed much faster. Over its lifetime, Zip had three disk sizes: one hundred megabyte, two hundred fifty megabyte, and seven fifty. I never owned a 750 megabyte one, but I had, I had a lot of 250 megabyte zip drives, and then, zip began to die. First, we had the inexpensive uh, read-write CDs, CDR technology, where you could where you could you could basically store about you know 700 megabytes on a on on a, on a writable CD, and those CDs were like dirt cheap, and that gradually began to eat away at Zip's market share for removable removable backup. So instead of backing up to the zip drive, you back up to the to to a rewrite CD and it's a lot cheaper. Then businesses started installing local area networks, which meant that you could transfer files over the network easily. You didn't need a zip. And then what put the final death knell in the zip drive were the removable flash USB flash drives. Once you had these USB flash drives, who needs a zip? Right. So zip basically became irrelevant when new technology surpassed it. But today is Zip's happy birthday. Happy 25th birthday, Mr. Zip Drive. Did you buy it an, an ice cream cake? Uh, no, didn't no. buy an ice cream okay. cake. But I'll, I'll sing happy birthday later in the, yes, later the, in the air, day. Please. Later in the day, yeah. Off in the day. This is Tech Talk Radio. Well, I want to just wish 40th happy birthday to Pac-Man. It's really... Really a, a, a momentous time now. Mm-hmm. The classic and popular Pac-Man video game came out in Japan on May 21st, 1980. That's 40 years ago, plus two days. By October, it was released in the United States. I didn't realize it was actually a Japanese game, Jim. Pac-Man doesn't sound Japanese name. Well, but did you ever play Pac-Man? I played Pac-Man, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's... Yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, moving along. I'll, I yeah. will not disagree with you on that. So the Pac-Man character is a little pie-shaped character with a mouse, a little yellow pie-shaped yeah. character with a mouse, and it travels around a maze eating dots, mm-hmm. and it tries to avoid four ghosts that are trying to hunt him down. So if a, if a ghost runs into the Pac-Man, he's, he's, he's gone. And so you you got to avoid the ghost, and you try to eat as many dots as you can before a ghost gets you. Now, to this day, Pac-Man remains one of the most popular video games in history. Its innovative design has been the focus of many and numerous books. Now, the game was actually created by Nameco in Japan, and it was released in the U.S. by Midway. By 1981, there were approximately 250 million games of Pac-Man being played in the U.S. each week on 100,000 Pac-Man machines mm. that were video arcades. I mean, th- this this was a day before people had their own computer, you know. So yeah. they had to deploy these Pac-Man machines. And, and, I, and there were 100,000 Pac-Man machines. I, I never played Pac-Man on one of the machines. I always played a Pac-Man on, you know, on an application on my PC. Mm-hmm. But uh, in 1981, they had the Pac-Man machines out. Since then, Pac-Man has been released... On nearly every video game platform, on May 21st of 2010, Google Doogle 
Google Doodle, Google Doodle, <laughs> Say that fast. even featured a playable version to mark the 30th anniversary of Pac-Man's release. Now, according to the Japanese game designer, Toru Iwatani, Pac-Man was conceived as an antidote to the overwhelming number of games with violent themes, such as Asteroids, Space Invaders, Tail Gunner, and Galaxion. These are all things, zero shoot 'em up things. And he didn't like that. So he created this game as something that would be much more benevolent. So there you go. Happy birthday to Pac-Man. Observations from the bunker. Wow, you really are locked down, aren't you? I am locked in this bunker, I'm telling you. And it's, you know, it forces you to think when you get in its isolation off by yourself. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not the only one thinking about what's meaningful in life. Jeff Bezos, the, cre- the, uh, the founder of Amazon, has had similar thoughts. And, you know, he's patiently built a company there at Amazon, creating a real flywheel, as they say. He's, um, he, you know, he's turned internal initiatives like like web services into a $17 billion operation with Amazon web services. He knows how to hire the right people. He knows how to make great business decisions. But he said, you know, cleverness only gets you so far. He said he is clever, but he says you got to do a lot more than being clever if you want to be successful. And he said the key is when you're 80 years old and you look back on your life, will you have any regrets? And you need to operate your life as a way to make certain that you'll have no limited regrets, no regrets going on. So we started thinking about, well, what, what was important to him and why, how did he organize his life as he was sort of valuing what he had done and what he will do going forward. So number one, he says, let will inertia be your guide or will you follow your passions? You know, sometimes people get stuck in a particular job and they just, well, they just stay there even though they hate it and they never really follow their passion. And at 80 years old, they're going to regret that. So he says, don't, don't let inertia slow you down. Go after your passions and you'll be happier in the long run. Will you follow dogma? In other words, will you do what everybody does or will you be an original? So you don't have to go down the beaten path. Take your own path. It's really important to not get lulled into doing what everybody else does. Try to be an original. Will you choose a life with ease or will you choose a life with service and adventure? So push yourself. Don't take the easy way. You're going to do stuff that's uncomfortable, but in the long run, you'll be happier. Will you wilt under criticism or will you follow your own convictions? Uh, And he says, you know, he believes that no matter how much the criticism that you receive is, If you're following your passion, and if you've chosen a route that makes sense, just go for it. Ignore the critics. It's easier said than done, but he says, you've got to do that. Will you bluff your way out of a situation where you're absolutely wrong, or will you apologize? And he says, look, if you make a mistake, admit it, apologize, and move on. Will you guard your heart against rejection, or will you follow it when you fall in love? So, you know, follow your passion there, too, as well as in work. Will you play it safe or will you be just a little bit swashbuckling, as he says? (laughs) Pirate reference. (laughs) I like that swashbuckling. Yeah. Uh 
when it's tough, will you give up or will you be relentless to the end? Will you have that determination, that stick to this to get it done? Will you be a cynic saying everything that's wrong with the world or will you be a builder trying to fix what's wrong and make it right? Will you be clever at the expense of others or will you be kind? Now, this is a great list. He, you know, he obviously had thought this through in his bunker during this <laughs> lockdown period. I bet his bunker's and, a little nicer than yours. Uh, I think so. He probably has. I'd, I'd say his, I'd say his doors don't squeak like don't ours. Don't squeak. Do. And he may actually have room service. <laughs> That's right. Now, but this is a hard list. I mean, for instance, just ignoring criticism and following your conviction I mean, that's easier said than done, but he said that's essentially. If you really want to start a business, and you can do that in a few hours, some people might say you're crazy, especially now. But if you want to do it, just do it. Mm -hmm. If you want to go back to school, some people might think you're crazy, especially now. But if you really want to do it, just do it. If you really want to open a restaurant, some people will definitely think you're crazy now. But if you want to do it, just do it. Whatever you want to do, go for it. You don't let the naysayer stop you from doing what you'd want to really do with your life. Because at 80, when you look back, you'll wonder what could have been. Mm -hmm. Now, research shows that it, the, the most likely regret that people have is that they didn't reach their full potential because they ne never really ran for the goalposts. They just played it safe. They just played it safe and didn't get out there for the big pass. You'll never regret trying something that didn't work out, but you'll always regret never trying something that could have worked out. Oh, well, you know, you learn from your mistakes, if you're lucky, that's right? right. That's right. That's exactly right. But the one mistake you can't fix in a lifetime is if you've never done something, you cannot get back the time. That's correct. That's a mistake you just can't fix. That's correct. So I'm telling you, so ask yourself the Bezos questions when you're holed up in your bunker. And you might avoid the one big mistake that you cannot fix, which would be not reaching your full potential. Yep. And you can do that starting today. Now let's go to beach gear for the geek. Now, of course, you go to the you go to the beach. Every every uh, every geek has got to have his laptop at the beach. So you're sitting out there on the beach with your laptop. And your battery runs out. So you've got to keep a way to keep your battery recharged. And what better way to do it than to have a solar-powered laptop? But of course. So what I did, I did a little research on it. It turns out that laptops, on average, were used between 30 and uh, 70 watts of power when they're on. Of course, our geek is probably going to be at the upper end of that because they're going to be running their gaming. Of have, course. <laughs> have all of their graphics going there. And so I'm recommending that you get two 30-watt solar panels. You need a voltage regulator. You could also get a reserve battery, which is optional. And you can get that whole kit, a laptop solar powered system for only $800. Oh, just 800 bucks. But you can sit there out in the sun and you can have your laptop on the entire day and you will never have a problem. Now, you do need internet access though. And internet access <laughs> from the beach is a problem. Yes, it is. 
So you need to have a high-gain Wi-Fi antenna that you can point back at all the condos along there, and there's always some weenie who forgets to secure his wireless. <laughs> now, this would be the antenna that you brought in last that's week. Right. That, that, would, like be, that would be the, the can antenna. That's, mm -hmm. a, that's a basically like a tin can with a, with, a, with a feed at the quarter wave point, and it's, it's like a flashlight beam. It's got about a 30-degree beam. You point that back at all the condos till you find a wireless access point that, that isn't secured, or you could point it back at your own, which is, of course, the only thing that I would do. Mm, I, would of course. Only be, I would only be looking at my own uh, wireless. Which would be located in the penthouse apartment at the very top. <laughs> That's right. And so you've got your Wi-Fi. Now, if you want to be the ultimate, the ultimate geek on the beach, you need the solar umbrella. Now, the sunbrella is actually, <laughs> it's actually a round disc solar panel that has a pole in it like an umbrella, and so you sit underneath the solar panel and use the solar panel as your umbrella. That's the sunbrella. Now, this solar panel is six feet in diameter, and it has an output of 282 watts. I'm sure it folds for very smart and easy packing, yeah, too. The, the, yeah. Now, now here's the, with 282 watts, you could power your laptops. You could have a small refrigerator there to keep all of your, well, Gator Egg. I mean, right, a geek's not going to be drinking. No, geeks not going to be drinking beer. So you, no. could have, you could have you could have all sorts of Milk. lighting, 282 watts powered by your some by your solar umbrella. Now, the last thing that a geek needs, he needs something to attract women. He That's needs right. a babe magnet. And a babe magnet. Nothing says babe <laughs> magnet like a pet. Maybe a pet dinosaur. That's right. You need a pet. Now, you don't want to have a dog because that's just too much work. You've got to feed it. So we're recommending a robotic pet. And the latest robotic pet that's out is actually a cute little one-week-old dinosaur. And that's what you hear talking to us in the background. This is Pleo, P-L-E-O. You can go to uglobe.com, uglobe.com. This, this is a very sophisticated dinosaur. It actually learns from you. And it actually develops a life with you as it's got built into it 32, several 32-bit microprocessors. It's got 8-bit subprocessors for the motor control. Ooh, sounds like Pleo had too much beefarino for it's breakfast. It's got 14 motors in. It's got over 100 custom-designed gears. It's got camera-based vision system with light detection and navigation, microphones for bioral hearings. In other words, it's got two ears. <laughs> it has skin sensors on the, the chin, the head, the shoulders, the back. This... Little dinosaur almost looks real. Yeah, it's it amazing. You touch it and it responds. It is just amazing to look at it. Here's the only downside. Three hundred and forty five dollars. Yeah, that's a bit of a downside. And you know the other thing I noticed is that he only works for an hour. You gotta plug him into the wall for four hours and that yields about an hour of usage. Yeah, you you plug him in for an hour. I want Pleo at my beck and call all the time. Yeah, well you're gonna have to you're gonna have to leave him on his lifeline then. You just have to leave his lifeline oh. on. You can leave his lifeline plugged in. And that's what extension cords are exactly. made for. Exactly. You just, you just, you just, he just has a lifeline, and he's going good forever. Gotcha. Oh, boy. Now, Pleo can have new personalities now. Go to that website. It is really great to look at him operating. Mm -hmm. Pleo World, P-L-E-O World.com. That's it for this week. Tune in next week for more Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. In the Washington area, we're heard on 1500 AM and 1035 FM HD2. If you're in the northwest suburbs, listen on 1039 FM HD2. South and west of Washington, 1077 FM HD2. And in Loudoun County, you can hear us on 104.5 FM. On the web, find us at stratford.edu or federalnewsnetwork.com. 
You can listen to any of our past shows. Just go to Apple iTunes or Podcast One. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.